pleasant good morning to each one of you. If you have your Bible with you, I would invite you to open to the passage that our brother Todd read for us uh, several moments ago from Genesis chapter 2 is where we will begin our study together in the Word of God. Thank all of you for coming and worshiping God with us here this morning. Although I don't have to tell you what I'm about to tell you, I think that all of us, at least who are of age, know what I am about to say, I'm going to tell you anyway. And that is this, that the God-given relationship of marriage is certainly under attack in the times in which we live. And it is under attack, I believe, from all sides. There is not just one group or people that are attacking marriage, that marriage, as God intends for it to be, is in a fight. From disposable marriages that seem to be more about convenience than commitment to what has been described in our time in our country and other countries around the world of being homosexual, quote, marriage, to living together arrangements that just kind of do away with the idea of marriage altogether. Marriage as God meant for it to be, marriage as we see described for us in Scripture, is in a fight, I think, for its very survival. Given the marriage mess that we find ourselves currently living in, how do we who are married make our marriages what God wants them to be? How do those, even a couple of uh, engaged couples that are here this morning, those who desire to marry, and maybe you're not even to that point of being engaged yet, but you have that desire to be married one day, How do those of you who fit into that category prepare yourselves for marriage? While these and other questions that we could ask this morning certainly do not have quick and easy answers, the one who made marriage does give us, I believe, some core concepts in his word that if we totally believe what he has said to us, if we are trying to consistently and diligently apply those concepts and Those truths to our marriages will make our marriages what God wants them to be. And so I would invite all of you who are here this morning, even if you're not remotely thinking about marriage, even those among us who are very young in age, to listen as we consider two important C's of marriage this morning. We have been talking some about marriage in this congregation this year. Uh, I preached a lesson, I looked, and it's been six months since I preached a lesson uh, for everyone about marriage, but we had a marriage class last quarter in the back, and it was well attended. Uh, We had a lot of good discussions about marriage, but I realized that not everybody was in those classes, and even if you were in those classes, you're like me, as we spoke of last Sunday as we began our lesson, you kind of forget things from time to time. And so I want us to go back this morning and to think about some very important concepts, two important concepts of marriage that I believe are just at the core of what God intends marriage to be. As we think about the first C of marriage, I want to suggest to you that marriage is a commitment. It is a commitment. In my judgment, commitment is is at the very core of marriage. It is at the very core of this relationship that God designed for our benefit and to be a blessing to us. 
Because without commitment, marriage is not what God designed it to be. As we read through Scripture, and we're going to look at some passages this morning, but there are a whole host of other passages that we're not even going to touch this morning. But as you look through God's Word, you find that God intends for marriage to be a lifelong covenant. It is a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. It's kind of sad, I think, that we even have to say that, that marriage is between one man and one woman. Because as we said just a moment ago, there are all kinds of ideas that people have about marriage and all kinds of different relationships and arrangements that people want to describe as marriage in our time that don't fit the biblical picture of what God tells us marriage is. What does God say to us in His Word about the importance of commitment in our marriage relationship. I want us to begin at the very beginning this morning. And the book of Genesis chapter 2 at verse 24, the writer here says to us, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We really have to go back a verse or two, don't we, to understand uh, the full import, I think, of what is being said to us here at Genesis 2 and verse 24. Adam, of course, has been given the charge by God to look at all of the creation that God had made, to have all the animals paraded before him, to name them. But there is not, among God's creation up until this point, before verse 23, there is not a a one who is in his creation who is suitable to him, who is like him, who he he can, can relate to as a fellow human being. And so God remedies this situation, and God, of course, takes from Adam's rib uh, and makes a woman that is like him. And because the man saw this woman, and he said there at verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I believe that is the reason for this reason, because God has created one now who is like Adam, one who is suitable to him, one who can be a helper to him. She is like him in many ways, but different than him in many ways. She is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. First of all, I believe the Bible is telling us here at this particular text that commitment means leaving our parents and leaving that relationship behind. Certainly, we continue to have a relationship with our parents when we are married, but that is not the primary relationship in our life for however many years it may be until we take a spouse, if we are married, that has been the primary relationship in our life. We have depended upon our father and our mother, even after we leave home, and maybe uh, we don't have to follow their rules. We're not living under their roof, as we say sometimes. That's still probably the primary relationship in our life. But God is telling us here about marriage that is no longer the case when we get married, that commitment to our spouse, commitment to God in this relationship, commitment to one another, means first and foremost leaving our parents behind, but it also means being joined to our spouse. Some of the older versions use the word cleave, and I like that particular word just for the the idea or the picture it ought to put into our mind that we are being bound together, we are being glued together, if you will, in this relationship of marriage. It also means that we are going to put our spouse before any other human being. It doesn't mean that we can't have relationships with other people. It doesn't mean that we can't have friends, that we can't have other family that we are close to, that we enjoy spending time with. But it does mean 
that we're going to put our spouse before any other human being. Of course, we're not going to put our spouse before God. We understand that and the relationship that we have with Him. But now, a very real part of our relationship with God and our responsibility to God, if we're married, is to be uh, is to our spouse and to put our spouse above any other person. It means, as the text tells us here, becoming truly one flesh with our spouse and only our spouse. I, I don't know what uh, marriage vows are being said today, and I, I know that a lot of uh, people that are getting married today and even for generations gone by have written their own marriage vows. I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. You're, you are making your own commitment before God. You're making your own commitment and promises to the one that you are about to marry. But at least in the traditional marriage vows, it would say something like this, that we are forsaking all others now. That, that we have stopped looking, if you will, that we are no longer going to uh, play the field, if you will, that we have committed ourselves to this person and this one person for the rest of our life. And not just to commit ourselves to this particular person that is about to be our spouse on a sexual level, but to commit ourselves to them in every way, that we are truly committed to this relationship, we are truly committed to our husband or our wife and we have forsaken all others. Jesus spoke about this, of course, in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's recorded also in the Gospel of Mark. But in the Gospel of Matthew, I want us to turn and read just a few words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 19. Maybe many of us are familiar with this text because of the question that the scribes and the Pharisees, at least the Pharisees, are asking Jesus here at verse 3. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And oftentimes, at least in my experience, it has been the case that if you hear lessons on Matthew 19 from this section, you hear lessons about divorce and remarriage. And certainly Jesus has something to say about that. But before he gets to that particular thought, notice he goes back to the beginning words. Notice he goes back to how God intended marriage to be from the beginning, what we just read a moment ago from Genesis chapter 2. And so Jesus began his answer to the Pharisees' question by saying this in verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It certainly takes commitment on the part of both husbands and wives to truly become one flesh with our spouse and to become one with our spouse in every way. He says, God has taken the two, man and woman, and he has brought them together in this relationship that he calls marriage. And those two are no longer two, but now they are to become one. They are to be one flesh in every way. Certainly, as we think back to the words of Genesis 2 and verse 24, and even verse 25, I think, bears this out more that the man and his wife were naked and they were not ashamed, that there was nothing that was a barrier between them, that they were naked physically, but they were naked emotionally. They were naked intellectually and spiritually. And in every way, there was a oneness, there was a unity that existed between husband and wife. And so Jesus, I believe, in trying to answer the Pharisees' question before he gets to, can you just put away your wife for any reason at all? He goes back and says, I want you to think about what God intended for marriage to be from the beginning. And this is what he intended, that those two would become one flesh, that they would certainly be one flesh 
in the sexual union in marriage. They would be one flesh relationally. They would be one flesh in their thought process. They would be one flesh emotionally. They would be one flesh spiritually. And if we are not committed to this process, if both husbands and wives are not committed to this process of the two becoming one flesh, and I would suggest to you that doesn't happen overnight, (laughs) that, like a lot of things, is a lifelong process that we are continually, hopefully, growing closer and closer to one another as husbands and wives and not growing further and further apart. But if we are not both committed to this process, it is very easy, and a lot of marriages... I think in the world and even some among those of us who are Christians, it is very easy for us to just remain two separate individuals, even though in some ways we do share some things. We as husbands and wives are sharing the same bed. We are sharing the same house. We are sharing children together. We are sharing meals together, hopefully. We may be sharing paying the bills together. And all of these things that we have in common We can have all those things in common and yet still be two separate individuals who are living two different lives going in two different directions. But that is not God's intent for us. Jesus says God's intent is that the two would become one. In marriage, it is God, I believe, who joins one man and one woman together as one flesh, and he does so He joins them together for life. Uh, Something that was also said, at least in traditional marriage vows, that it would be said between both husband and wife that we are committing ourselves to that other person as long as we both shall live. Go to Romans chapter 7. Brother Craig mentioned this text in our our class this morning as we talked about Ezra and as we got into the last part of that book in chapters 9 and 10. But I want us to read the words of the Apostle Paul here, even if you were in that class again. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes here, Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while, she, while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, uh, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Romans chapter 7, it may kind of seem odd to us if you're reading through the book of Romans as to why the Apostle Paul just kind of seems to stop here and for a couple of verses talk to us about marriage. But I think Romans chapter 7 is kind of similar to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33 in this regard that Paul makes it very clear there in Ephesians chapter 5 that he's really not talking to us about the marriage relationship. He's talking to us about the Christ church relationship. And he is just using marriage to illustrate how Christ is the head of the church and we are the body, how we are to be submissive to him as our head, how he loves us and nourishes us and cherishes us just as he does himself, and how we as husbands or wives are to interact in that same way as Christ and the church interact with one another. So it is here, I believe, in Romans chapter 7 that Paul is not really discussing marriage and the marriage relationship per se, He is talking to us and talking to those who uh, were Jews, I think, especially that that now you're you're no longer under the old law. Now you have Christ has come and he has taken that law away. He has fulfilled that law in himself. 
and you must live with faith in Jesus Christ. But he's using the marriage relationship to illustrate a greater truth. And yet, even the truth that he states about marriage, I believe, is very accurate, of course. And it is one, I think, that we need to take to heart, especially in this age of just throwaway marriages. You know, most of us, we, we just kind of live in a disposable world, don't we? You know, there, there are not a whole lot of people that like to fix things anymore. Uh, it is certainly not, I don't think God wired my brain that way to uh, be good at, at fixing things and repairing things. There are a few little things that I can do, but not a whole lot. But you know, if your TV goes out today, you don't take it to the TV repair shop. And I, I remember doing that as a kid. But you don't do that now. You just throw it in the trash, or I guess you take it to the recycling place. <laughs> and they dispose, of it, they, they dispose of it, and they recycle it into something else, maybe another TV. But, but we're just kind of, I think, conditioned to think that way about a lot of things in life. And for a lot of those things, I mean, it doesn't matter if our TV goes out. We can throw it away and get another one. If our car stops working and it costs so much to fix it, uh, we can just sell it for scrap and we can get another one. Those things don't matter as far as our soul is concerned, as far as our relationship with God and other people is concerned. But it does matter when it comes to the relationship of marriage. Because Paul is stating this truth here that applies to marriage. And he says in Romans 7 that as long as our husband or wife is living, we are bound to the law that God has given concerning marriage. And what is that law? It is what we've already talked about this morning from Genesis chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 19. That for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become... One flesh. And Jesus, of course, went on to add there at verse 6 that what God has joined together, let us not as people separate or put asunder. God's law for marriage is one man for one woman for life. And yes, I know as you continue reading there in Matthew chapter 19, I know very well what Jesus says in the next few verses. And I understand that Jesus gives a reason, if you will, that we can divorce our spouse. And if your spouse is still living here on earth and you are divorced for that particular reason, you're right with God. Things are right between you and God. But still the truth concerning marriage is this very foundational point that goes all the way back to the beginning that what God has joined together, let not man separate. And for us to carry out that command, to carry out that instruction of God in our marriage, it takes a lot of commitment. Marriage is a blessing. Marriage is a good thing. It is given to us by God, and God wants it to be a good thing for us in our lives. He wants us to enjoy that relationship to its fullest. But it's not always easy, just like our commitment to God and to follow His Son, Jesus Christ, is not always easy because it takes commitment. One other word about commitment, if we look in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 24, and sometimes this is a passage that we go to again to think about uh, divorce and, and remarriage. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, as uh, even Jesus himself quotes from this particular passage or has this passage in mind as he speaks here in Matthew chapter 19. I want us to read just one verse here from verse 5. And it is a verse maybe that we're not as familiar with as we are with verses 1 and four, one through 4, but is just as important. 
Here the writer Moses says, When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Yes, we we certainly have other earthly commitments we might could say in our lives. God knows that. He knows that we have the responsibility to work and provide for our families. He knows that we may have friends. He knows that we may have other family. He even knows, as, as in a conversation that he had with the religious leaders in Matthew 15, that we are to honor our father and mother. We are to take care of our parents in old age. We can't say, well, I've already given some money to God and to his work. Part of God's work, if we have parents that are living and they need our help, is to take care of them. Certainly we have other commitments in life, but our commitment to our husband and wife must come first. And I believe this instruction here in Deuteronomy 24 and verse 5 is telling us that, especially for a new husband, that you're not to go out and fight in the army for a year. You're not to be consumed with your work, whatever it is or however important it is, but you are to be at home and to give happiness to your wife. And so yes, while we have to spend a certain number of hours each work on the job. And while we have to spend, those of us who are parents, a certain number of hours taking care of our children and bringing them up in the nurture and discipline of the Lord, our relationship with our spouse must take priority. There are a lot of practical ways, of course, that we can show commitment to one another in marriage. And there are a lot of ways that we can grow our commitment to one another. I mentioned this in one of our uh, classes in the marriage class last quarter, but I'll just mention this to everybody. One thing that we can do that was suggested to us, me and Anna, by uh, my father-in-law, that is every year on your anniversary to take some time and to just write down one reason why you love your spouse. (laughs) Sometimes it can be very easy for us to forget that, especially if we have been married for decades, about what, what attracted us to this particular person in the first place? Why did we say I do to them? To be reminded of that from time to time, to rekindle that love, to rekindle that desire that we have for our husband or our wife, I think is a good thing for us to do. We can simplify our life so that we can devote more time and more thought, more energy, more effort to our marriage. I know that most of us live very busy lives. And we have all of these pressures that are on on us daily, pressures for us to produce at school or at work. But sometimes I think we just need to simplify our lives. I know that's easy to say and hard to do. But we may just need to cut some things out of our calendar so that we can devote more time to our marriage, to this very important relationship that God has designed for us. You can find a regular activity that will help us as husbands and wives to truly become one together, to become one flesh. That we can spend time reading God's word together and discussing the scriptures. We can spend time in prayer together, asking God to help our marriage and to help heal our marriage if we are struggling, to help us to grow in our marriage. We can certainly, as, we, as I just said, use God's word. It is the best manual on marriage that we have. But there are some other good books that have been written by people. They may not necessarily be what we consider to be Christians, but people who have uh, a uh, belief in, in God's Word as being the inspired Word of God and can give us some practical things that we can do in our marriage that are based upon biblical principles. There are some marriage podcasts that are available today that we can listen to, husbands and wives. We can just make it a point in our, in our 
week to just carve out a few minutes. It doesn't have to be a whole lot, 10 or 15, 20 minutes, that we can just have a conversation about us, about our marriage. And certainly we can get into the habit of using what I would call oneness language as we communicate to each other, husband to wife and wife to husband, but also as we talk to other people about our marriages, that it's not I and him and she and her and it's us and we and we're in this together. The way that we talk sometimes really says a lot about how we view things. And it would be good for us, and I'm speaking to myself in all this this morning. Uh, it's not very easy to preach about marriage because <laughs> I have things to learn myself. I have room to grow myself. But these are just some practical things that I have thought of recently that might help us to truly be committed as God intends for us to be. The second C of marriage, very much related to that, is that of communication. I think communication is a very difficult thing in just all of our relationships in life. And certainly it is when it comes to the marriage relationship. But when husbands and wives are truly committed to God, when they are truly committed to one another... I believe that there will be good communication between them. It will not come naturally. It will not come easily many times. It will be something that we have to really work on, something that we have to make a priority in our relationship. Going back to Genesis chapter 2 at verse 23. Genesis 2 and verse 23, again, the writer tells us here that the man said after he saw Eve that God had created for him, that this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Although this text here in Genesis 2.23 doesn't explicitly say to whom Adam spoke these words, I believe it is implied, at least I understand it to be implied, that Adam was speaking these words to Eve. This new fascinating creation that God had made just for him, that he was speaking these words to Eve because God brought her, it says in verse 22, God brought her, he made her and brought her to the man and this is the man's reaction. This is what Adam first communicates to his new wife. God brought her to the man and then the man said. Here's the first communication between man and woman, between husband and wife. And yet we know how the account goes as it continues on into chapter 3. That because of sin, good communication between Adam and Eve, between this first married couple, it ceased. That now there was a barrier that was put up between them, but also put up between them individually and God, of course, that of sin. And so we come to chapter 3. And as God, continues, uh, God converses with Adam here, uh, notice what is said to us at verse 12 as God is asking Adam some questions about what he had done and, and uh, why he was trying to hide from him. God knew all of that. But the man said in response to God's questions in verse 12, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. When God pressed Adam about what he had done, notice here the first words out of his mouth were not like the first words that he said back in Genesis 2 and verse 25. They were not like the first words that he said when he first laid eyes upon his wife Eve. Now here in chapter 3 and verse 12, he is speaking words of blame. He is blaming God, well, this woman that you gave to me, and he is blaming his wife, well, she is the one who gave me this fruit and I ate of it. They are words of blame. They are words not 
of unity, but words of division. They are words not of, of closeness to one another. Now they are words of distance. Adam is distancing himself from his wife. He at first spoke words of love in chapter 2 and verse 23 and unity and closeness. But now because of sin in their lives, that good communication has turned into bad communication. What does God say to us in the word about the importance of communication in marriage? There are lots of passages I'm sure that we could look at, but I want us to just go for the sake of time this morning to one in the New Testament here in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I, I'm sure many of us have read, especially those of us who are married have read this passage a number of times. I don't know how often we have thought about it from the standpoint of communication, but I want you to think about it from that perspective for just a minute or two this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, Peter writes here, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. The Apostle Peter is really not pulling this out of context. Uh, he, he is thinking and connecting it back to some previous discussions he said back in chapter 2. Because he says here to those who are wives in verse 1, in the same way, to husbands at verse 7, in the same way. He is ultimately, I think, going back to the end of 1 Peter 2 and telling us that even in our marriage relationship and maybe especially in our marriage relationship, that we need to both focus on Christ, our great example, that if we are not treated in the way that we should in the marriage relationship, that we need to go back and look at Christ, how he suffered and how he dealt with that, how he responded to that, but also the idea of submitting here, just as Christ submitted to the suffering that he experienced, that we in the marriage relationship need to submit to one another. I want you to notice here in these seven verses that we just read, I want you to notice the communicative words that are here. There are some verbal ones, I think, and some nonverbal ones. <laughs> but this is communication between husband and wife. Uh, Paul, Peter, rather, here tells us at verse 1 that in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands. That there is a sense in which, a very real sense in which, uh, husbands are to be the head of their wives, spiritually speaking. And wives are supposed to be in subjection to their husbands. He talks to wives about their behavior and how they are to conduct themselves. That just by the example that they set, the life that they live, that they can bring one who is not a Christian or even one, I think, maybe in this passage, could be someone who says they're a Christian in name, but they're really not living that way. They're being disobedient to the word. Their life doesn't match up their confession of following Christ. He says, how can you win that person to Christ? Well, it's by the way that you live, by your conduct. 
He talks about a woman in her adornment that it is not just all about how you look on the outside. Certainly there is nothing wrong with looking nice and and pretty and attractive on the outside. But he says your focus as a woman who is trying to be God's woman is to be focused on what is on the inside. That you're trying to have the character of Christ and to show that. He even mentions the example of Sarah and her calling her husband Abraham Lord. I know that may seem kind of strange to us, but I think that is just a title of respect that she is showing to her husband. He says to husbands here in verse 7 that we need to live with our wives in an understanding way. That implies that we need to be men who are truly listening to our wives, that we are truly communicating with our wives, that we are, are observing them that we are getting to know them, that our life as a married man is not all about ourselves, but we are focused on them and helping them. He says to husbands here in verse 7 that we need to honor our wives. And it is an honor that results from us being heirs together of the grace of life, that true life companions that are both committed to God and each other will communicate that honor and that respect one to another. I want you also to notice here at the very end of this discussion, at the end of verse 7, that good communication between a husband and a wife, it results in good communication with God. He says to those of us, especially who are husbands, if we do not honor our wives in the way that God wants us to honor them, that this is serious business. Because our prayers to God, our Father, are going to be hindered. That, that there is going to be some static, if you will, in the line of communication between us and God. And none of us want to find ourselves in that position, do we? That our prayers, our petitions, our supplications to our Father will not be heard or answered in the way that we need them to be heard and answered. That our prayers will be hindered. In spite of what our culture says... God made men and women, and therefore he made husbands and wives unique. I mean, 21st century America, we want to say there is no difference between a man and a woman. We don't, some people don't even want to give us a definition of what a man or a woman is. But the Bible tells us that God made us in his image. And more than that, he made us unique. We are like one another. Yes. But in some ways, we are unique. We are different from one another. And I believe that difference is clearly seen sometimes in how we communicate or maybe don't communicate with one another as husbands and wives. We might think it's so easy to communicate. (laughs) Maybe it's easy for those of us who are men to communicate with people that we work with every day that we see 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week. We don't have any problem communicating on the job. Or maybe for wives, you you think it's very easy for me to communicate with those who are my best friends that I've known for decades. And that's no problem for us to just sit down and have a conversation that lasts for hours. And maybe those things are true for you, but somehow, some way, when we come to our marriage relationship, it can be very hard for us to communicate. I, I know my mom has told me as my parents divorced a number of years ago, Uh, that she said, I think kind of at the root of a lot of their problems, she thought was that they really could not communicate together like they should. And they were both Christians. Communication can be very hard. 
And so all of us who are married must really work to communicate as a couple if we are going to have a marriage that joyfully experiences all the blessings and all the benefits that God designed for it to give to us. He wants those of us who are married to enjoy our marriages. He wants that relationship to be a blessing to us and to be a help to us. Very quickly, some practical ways for us to to show real communication in our marriages, to grow in that. Uh, As we've already mentioned this morning, to just have conversations about us. Maybe that can be a little bit awkward at first, and I'm not the best, I'll admit, at doing that. It's a lot easier maybe to talk about the kids or to talk about the weather or to talk about whatever else is going on. But to be very intentional about that, to just have conversations about us as husbands and wives. We, we can send each other or give each other short notes or cards or texts throughout the day. Anna and I are fairly good about doing that. And it doesn't have to be something that's very long or involved or detailed. But just to let each other know we're thinking about each other as the day goes on. It can certainly be communicating things like saying thank you when our spouse has done something for us. Or I love you. Or you are a blessing to me to speak words that will edify and encourage our spouse and will help us to grow together and make that bond tight like it should be. And then finally, we can thank God together for our relationship. How many of us pray and thank God for our marriages? I'm telling you this morning, I don't do that as much as I should but we ought to be thankful people. These are just two important C's of marriage, commitment and communication. If you are married, how are you doing with these? How is your commitment to your spouse? How is your commitment to the relationship that God has blessed you with of marriage? How is your communication between one another as husband and wife? It may be that you think about your own relationship right now and maybe you are struggling. Maybe you aren't doing so good. And I have not intended this lesson at all to be a discouragement to you. If you are struggling in your marriage, don't despair about that. You you need to take encouragement from the fact that there is help. There is certainly help that is available from God Himself, that God can work in our marriage and He can heal our marriage. He can transform our marriage into what He intends for it to be if it is not. But there is also a, a bounty of help in this congregation from brothers and sisters in Christ who are married or maybe their spouse has passed away, but they have have a good track record of marriage that would be, be glad, I'm sure, to help you in that. Maybe you look at your marriage today and you think about commitment and communication in your marriage and you say, I think we're doing really well right now. And that certainly is a great place to be. But I would say to you who think that about your marriage Don't settle for where you are right now because you can always grow. You can always do better. Whether you're married or not this morning, I believe these two concepts of commitment and communication are vital not only to our marriage relationship, but first and foremost, vital to our relationship to God. What about you this morning? Are you truly committed to God? Is He the master of your life? Can you call Him your Father? And if you do, how how is communication going between you and God? Are you letting Him regularly talk to you through His Word? And are you regularly communicating with Him in prayer? 
If you're not in a right relationship with God, whether you're married or not, don't leave this building in that state. Decide that today is the day, the time is now, that you're going to come and commit yourself, your life, to God. As we are about to sing this song of invitation and encouragement, would you let him have his way with you this morning? In whatever way that may be for you, if you see that you have a need for God and you need to respond to the invitation of Christ this morning, we would encourage you to do that very thing as we stand and as we sing.